Waikiki is such a special place. I mean, people, I think the one other great thing, sorry to go back to the pandemic, is people rediscovered Waikiki or discovered for the first time. Mm -hmm. And like locals. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I mean, news flashes out like people love it and they they couldn't get enough of it because they know now what I know is that it's one of the best places. This is why the visitors go there. It's why Kings and Queens went there. It's why Dukanamoku was there all the time. Okay, welcome back to Hawaii Real, everybody. I'm your host, Ioke Ehu. If you haven't yet, subscribe to this channel on YouTube or subscribe to any one of the podcast channels that we have this uh, podcast on. Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. You can go there. You can favorite those uh, podcasts and favorite Hawaii Real. You can also view uh, my short clip videos that I put on my new website, hawaiirealpodcast.com. Again, that's hawaiirealpodcast.com. And I also have the audio versions of the podcast directly onto the website. So you can go to that website, listen directly to all the episodes that I post. Today, I have a special guest with me. He's a former GM of Dukes in Waikiki, and he's now the vice president for TS Restaurants. Dylan Ching, former high school football standout and went off to... San, uh, University of San Diego, and then went off to play some uh, Canadian football. So, yeah, I was asking him off camera, I was like, what, what's the difference between Canadian and, and American football? <laughs> Dylan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. It's been like a little bit, a little while since I actually talked to you, since uh, in high school. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, we've crossed paths a few times, but yeah. uh, but really... Still, is- still doing CrossFit? Yeah, we've evolved to our garage since it's, you know, the since pandemic down, and yeah. I never thought um, we would be, uh, I always liked going to the gym, but it's been, it's been actually pretty fun to have our house, have our, a little CrossFit gym in our house. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It's nice to have that. Yeah. Uh, so you were saying uh, TS restaurants, you guys, you specifically, you oversee 13 restaurants? Uh, no, I oversee four. I oh, have a region. Um, it's Oahu, so anything that's in Oahu and Kauai. So there's four um, that I oversee. I did not know that um, you guys had six Dukes. Yeah, we have 13 restaurants and we have six Dukes. There's you know three in uh, Hawaii and three in California. Super interesting. Where are the ones in California? Uh, so we have one in Huntington Beach out there at the pier, pretty famous spot. Um, we have one on the PCH in Malibu, which... Um, they're all beautiful. And then our newest, um, Dukes is in La Jolla, um, up on Prospect Street, overlooking the shores. And and I know like the big thing these days is COVID and, you know, being in the restaurant business, like how is, what's the positive that has come out of that? And how are you guys, um, like moving forward in the future? Yeah, there, you know, there is a lot of positives. Um, you know, I sometimes I struggle um, to remind myself that I got to start with that versus all the negative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's caused you, you know, us, especially my business with TS and with Dukes, where you know, forty plus years old, old or young, and very successful, and um, you know, well known restaurants and doing, you know, what I would say, pretty healthy financially, and then for one of the strongest, you know, restaurants and companies to be in the same boat as everybody else struggling um to just you know stay afloat 
was humbling. But what I think it did was, you know, lots of people took it and said, okay, so what are we going to do instead of, you know, sort of sit there and, and, and cry about it. And that has been fun to almost start over and reimagine what you're doing um, and try to make sure that you hold on to your values and your culture. And then, um, but how do we, uh, when you have these restrictions and you have, you know, uncertainty and you're cut off from a lot of your business, how do you first stay afloat and then how do you thrive? And so, you know, it's like starting a business from scratch, which, um, which for some of us that came into TS, you know, as it was already, you know, successful, you know, you, you didn't really have to scrap it out from the, from, from grassroots. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, this is the closest we're going to come. And in many ways, I bet more, more or equally challenging from, from when they were started the company. So it's starting all over again with new rules and new procedures in place and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I mean, to take your capacity, well, first of all, to go to, to go only, um, you know, the average person doesn't realize, I think that that model for anything that's not a, you know, fast, casual, quick pickup place like a McDonald's or maybe, you know, places that are more traditionally to go where they bank their business. If you have a brick and mortar that is, you know, has is built its business on people sitting in the restaurant um, with the lack of people because of the travel quarantines and, um, you know, just it, the to go just isn't a sustainable model only. Yeah. Cause there have been like several restaurants that either they transitioned to, to go and then slowly failed and had to shut down or they just shut down altogether and, and didn't even go to, to go. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody, you know, because the information as it was coming out, depending on support from the governments and everybody kind of was making it up as they go. Some people, you know, stayed open and paid everybody. And then some people closed and laid everybody off. Some people stayed on, on, um, to go And really without the governmental help, most of the places that stayed open would not have been able to stay open because mm-hmm. the to go models, uh, very big losing money model if that's the only thing you're doing with current rents and all the other things you have to continue to pay um it just doesn't work um you know so for the listeners what's the downfall of just doing to go like it's just you're not getting enough uh buyers or customers day to day well i mean the simple um part of it well one thing is you can't employ as much people because you're not waiting on anybody um you know, another downfall that I think is getting lost is that you're, you know, we're really kind of damaging, more damaging the environment with all the to-go plateware that everybody's using. Even if they're eco-friendly, it still has a carbon footprint and is going in trash. So that's one. That's another one. Um, the other is when when most people sit down at a restaurant, um, they have multiple drinks. You know, they might have an appetizer, they might have coffee, they might have dessert. Um, when you order to go, you order one time and you're out of there. Um, the other thing is, you know, and I got to say a lot of people have been really gracious when it comes to gratuity, but the service industry, lots of people, you know, bank on gratuity and it's not necessarily common practice for people to, um, to tip on to go, or at least at the level that you're used to in, in, in restaurant service. So that's another, you know, that income is, is gone. And, and then you're really maintaining, a large space with nobody in it. So all of that 
is is difficult um you know the repair and maintenance on on large restaurants or buildings is you know a big part of what you do and you're doing that with basically little to no business yeah so for the listeners out there were you guys still having to pay rent and everything that wasn't that wasn't taken off right lease so you know every um lease or a landlord in our in our in our company's portfolio were different and some people were offering things some people weren't I would say a lots are still in negotiation. Um, most peop- most of the landlords at the minimum gave deferments, you know, but when you're getting no sales, the deferment is really just, you know, kicking the can down the road. It's not a relief. Because um, you're going to have to pay that down the road anyways. Totally. And and I can't always, you can't always necessarily blame the, the landlord because they are not always the landowner. Sometimes they're just a leaseholder. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it really comes down to, you know, almost the end person has to start the domino effect of relief. Um, because if the person that's holding your lease isn't getting relief on their, on their end, then it's harder for them to give you relief. So it's, it's really complicated. And, um, you know, so much and rightfully so, I think was given to what you would call like a small business. And they had all those, um, you know, annual sales, um, you, you know, you could get relief, if you did this much sales. Mm-hmm. So it really, it, it did sort of cut out a lot of the larger, what I would still consider a small business, you know, but the larger revenue generators um, in, you know, those, the larger businesses, it costs more to run. Um, and you kind of got caught out of some of the, the sort of the unforgivable relief. And then, you know, the, the, the CARES Act, the PPP loans, those were, you know, I feel bad for the people that didn't have, um, you know, people in their, maybe their home offices or, or council that were kind of guiding them through it. Um, because nobody really knew what to do, but you could have done a better job if you, if you sort of, you know, did a little bit more research and, and figured it out and didn't act so quickly, but nobody knew. So it's hard to fault anybody for that. All right. Were you guys able to receive uh, funding and help assistance? Um, yeah, yeah. All, uh, we applied and, and, and we, we were able to get some and, um, and you know, not all of it. We, we still don't actually know if what's forgivable or not. So if it's just a loan, um, you know, the terms changed. It was definitely something we met almost every week and every week our CFO would give us a new update of how the rules were changing. And, um, and so, you know, in some cases, you know, we were thinking of, should we even take it? You know, is this right. going to be a bigger, you know, weight around our ankle when we're done with this? Um, and so all of that's still somewhat in play, you know, how it's all going to trickle out because everybody's still kind of getting float. Uh, we're, you know, everything's floated right now. There's moratoriums over evictions and the the other shoe didn't really drop yet. So there's still a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Especially in a day and age where, you know, the, I guess on a national level, they're talking about, uh, relieving student loan debt. It's like, well, okay, but they actually took those loans years ago, but now you have these businesses, restaurants and stuff that are taking, you know, in these loans and these assistance, like that should be forgiven that because they didn't, as the businesses, you guys didn't choose to close down. You guys didn't choose to get this loan. You guys are doing it just to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so complicated. And something that I've tried to do through this whole thing is, which is so easy and I see it, especially in social media, um, is 
how come you can do this, but I can't do this? How come, you know, this, you know, how come you can go to Costco, but you can't go here? How come you, you know, I can go to a restaurant, but I can't go to my family's house. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's crazy. So much of it is noise because really the answer in so many cases are, you know, I, in my opinion, you should be able to do both. You know what I mean? Like, it's really like in so many ways, it's no different. So having one not be able to do the other, I think a lot of people are like, you shouldn't be able to do this, but you should be able to do this. Um, you know, in so many cases, um, the information and the real understanding of how it how you're seeing it play out on on the ground isn't like you see it everywhere else um which you know so many people are concerned about um you know the guest coming into businesses mm -hmm. what i found and it's been true every single time is it's the employees that are the biggest risk because they're the ones that are in the building spending time together and they're the ones going to their friend's house for celebrations or to funerals or to the beach or wherever. And then they come and they hang out for a period of time in a little bit less. I mean, definitely the, I, the businesses are doing a great job of trying to keep them separated, but it's hard when you have a guest walk in with a mask and they in front of a shield, they go to a table, somebody brings them food, they leave, things are getting wiped down. I mean, to me, the risk is very low, but everybody thinks, oh, these people are bringing it in. What we've seen is, you know, employees are the biggest risk. And that's the one that keeps me up, not not the guests. That's interesting. Yeah, with the police department, it's kind of the, we're kind of seeing the same thing where like the transmission might be from someone in the public to an officer, but more so it's, you know, the police officers themselves that are transmitting amongst each other. Yeah. Which, eh, it sucks. It's the way it is, right? Right. But how do you stop that? Right. It, that's why it's. And don't just, don't hang out with each other at all at well, work. It's like yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. You can't. There's not enough money to retool your whole restaurant in a way or whatever business, so that you know you're never gonna cross paths with somebody or, you know, have to do you know work at a computer the same right. computer. It's just, and it's not like we're doing it for just a couple of weeks. Right. Like it's what eight months now. Yeah. It's like how you can't keep people separated for months and months and after month and after month. Yeah. Just, it's just going to degrade and die down. You know, you could do it for a short term. You know, I remember when it first happened. It's like, hey, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. Yeah. It's been months now. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other thing is, um, you know, lots of people, which is always hard for me. I type so many responses and I never send them either on social media or, e or emails or other forms or comments. When people say, like, I can go to the restaurant, but I can't go to my grandma's house. And you know, my answer, which will, which I'll never send because it's a losing battle is when you come to the restaurant, we're governed by rules and laws and regulations mm -hmm. and we have liquor commission, health department, public opinion, police officers, COVID, you know, task force that are keeping an eye on us. Mm -hmm. But when you close the door and you go to your grandma's house, nobody's keeping an eye on you, mm -hmm. what you're doing, letting your guard down. And, you know, that's hard for me because I know what we have to jump through and that's not what I have to do when I go home. When I go home, kind of have my own, you know, my own rules, even though, yeah, you know, somebody says you can't do it. And and that's that's a hard pill to swallow because um, I get where people are seeing, but it, it just it doesn't square up for me. Right. Yeah. Um, diving backwards, um, you were the general manager of Dukes for how long? 
Uh, about seven years. So you got maybe a good knowledge and back story of like the restaurant and just who Duke was for people who don't know and don't realize like how important he was as a historical figure for Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, you can't help it. Um, you know, Waikiki is, is such a special place. I mean, people, I think the one other great thing, <laughs> sorry to go back to the pandemic is people rediscovered Waikiki right. or discovered for the first time. Mm. And, like locals. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I mean, news flashes out like people love it and they they couldn't get enough of it because they know now what I know is that it's one of the best places. This is why the visitors go there. It's why Kings and Queens went there. It's why Dukanamoku was there all the time. Um, it's It's got great weather. It's got a great playground, natural playground right there to surf and, you know, swim and, and be safe, but also, you know, be a little adventurous. And, um, it's just, it feels magical and it, and it is, I mean, you look out there, um, and, and you can't not, um, you know, smile. And I, I think so many people got to see that that's an, a good offshoot of the pandemic, you know, and, and Duke Dukes has been there since, um, the early nineties, um, at the outrigger Waikiki and, um, Duke Hanamoku, whose namesake is after, um, is, you know, probably for most people, probably one of the most important figures in, in Hawaii as it pertains sort of to the rest of the world, I think, because he was, you know, someone that sort of shared Hawaii with the world and made it famous, I think, for what what I still think is our, one of our most important attributes is, you know, the Aloha spirit and also, you know, how much we are welcoming and how much we are a host culture and not in a way where you feel like you're beneath somebody, but where you feel like it's an honor to serve somebody else. And, um, he was really, you know, the, the main person that put us on the map for that. And, you know, it, you take a, a, a away the things, um, like he's an amazing athlete. I mm -hmm. think he's the only person to be inducted in the surfing and swimming hall of fame. I mean, he has, because he was an Olympian. So. Yeah. Yeah. He has, you know, four gold medals, a silver and a bronze. And he um, competed in you know three Olympics. That's pretty amazing. Um, and you know he's you know so well known for that. But he's also you know it, he was an actor. Um, you know everybody gets confused as you know he had this title of sheriff, and it wasn't it wasn't sheriff as you know police enforcement. In, it was sort of a, a noble title that he was given, so that um, people understood of his importance because when uh, people all over the world came to Hawaii, um, he was one of the first ones that, you know, welcomed them off the plane or off the ship and showed them Hawaii and what was so special about it. And, um, you know, he, he, he's really that, that figure when you think about Hawaii, a Hawaiian, a waterman, you know, just a gentle, but very impactful person. Like when you look at him, you're like, I know that guy is in, important and it's not because of what he's saying, to speak of what he's doing and i think that's a real important tie to um you know how the restaurants came to be um and um you know taking a figure like that like a real person and then trying to live up to that um is really what we do on a daily basis whether people you know that are you know disconnected from us understand that or not is we do have this duty to make sure that we are that ambassador of aloha for for the world and 
um, or for, for Hawaii when people come, you know, we're not the only thing, but um, we, we are pretty well positioned for people to kind of see Hawaii in a picture or a postcard. And then when they get here, a lot of times, you know, especially our Duke's restaurants sort of like paint that picture. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good challenge to have to where you, you're running a business, you're trying to honor a person um, who has an amazing legacy. Um, and then you're also trying to make sure you do right by, you know, our, our island, our state, our culture, you know, um, it's, it's a real, ch it's a real good challenge. And I feel like, um, by and large, we've done a great job of doing that. Um, you know, he's not, him and his family aren't necessarily directly involved with the restaurants, but, um, and Duke was passed before they came. Um, but his wife Nadine was was around and involved in the early on days. Um, we we currently have Kanamokus that um, you know are in our building on a daily basis. Um, you know his his sisters, um, um, his one of his nephews is um, runs the the the. The beach um, services right next to there, um, Didi Rebello and um, his kids and his his family are all Kanamokus and they're around and we try to do our best to, um, you know, keep them feeling like it's their place as well. Um, so, uh, you know, there's many ways um, that Duke is intertwined with what we do, even though it's not really, you know, didn't originate from him starting the restaurant. It was our company who had restaurants before and this you know, this concept came about by our founders and with some other, you know, pretty um, knowledgeable, respectful people. And, you know, Dukes was was born not in Waikiki, in Kauai, in Kalapaki. Um, that's where the first Dukes started. And, you know, they always like to let us know that they're the original. <laughs> they're the first. Yeah, they're the original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it's really, really interesting to have a restaurant that is, you know, the namesake of such an important historical figure. That wasn't like really in the distant past, you know, it's fairly recent past and that, you know, you guys do have this background that you're trying to live up to, you know, his honor and stuff. Yeah. So what would you guys say to uh, local residents of Hawaii coming into Waikiki or coming and tr trying to uh, find new places to eat and, and visit? Um. Well, I mean, as it pertains to us, what, what I like, what I feel somewhat most proud about about Waikiki the Dukes in Waikiki and in some degree all of our restaurants because they're in visitor locations they're in beautiful places that you know tend to have um, visitors around and you know if you know anything about Hawaii there's still that visitor or that that tourist versus local sort mm -hmm. of divide um, and what I what I appreciate always about especially Dukes in Waikiki is um, you know, I tell everybody, I know you're probably not going to make the trip down to Waikiki from Mililani or Hawaii Kai to come down to Dukes. But what we've always been is that place when people have out of town guests or there's something going on in Waikiki. Um, Dukes is that place where I feel like a visitor and a local can sit next to each other or be in that place and both feel comfortable because we're not, even though most of the people in there on any given day are visitors. Our intent is not to cater to visitors. Our intent is to do what we do best, which is provide, you know, a welcoming place and have consistent food that, you know, has some touches of Hawaii in it, but mostly, you know, 
good fresh food and comfort food and you know great people working that make you feel welcome and um i do think when a local gets there and a visitor's there they both feel like they can coexist in there and i think there's you know you know other places in other areas that um you know are built maybe for one or the other mm -hmm. you know a local w w might go to you know a hotel restaurant and just feel like out of place and a visitor might end up in a local eatery you know in you know one of the towns that just doesn't cater to them and feel like not not like it, it belonging and uh, i think dukes marries that together but on top of that there's so many other cool things down down in Waikiki that you know people get to discover. Um, there's so many people in Hawaii. What I've discovered, I knew it already, but this really showed during the pandemic. Is how many people in Hawaii, and maybe it's because they work or because they've never done it, um, surf. Nobody nobody surfs, um, but now a lot of people discovered that surfing is pretty fun. Um, and you know, so seeing a lot more locals go out. And yeah, learn. and and a lot of locals that you know didn't have surfboards mm -hmm. or you know, didn't go to the beach that often. I mean, uh, it's too bad. I mean, good on them for making the money, but it's too bad, you know, a local surfboard producer couldn't do something like the wave storms because those boards from Costco are just all over the ocean because, you know, they're they're affordable and um, they're an easy start for a lot of people. And as much as people like to, you know, give tourists a hard time about learning how to surf, I saw so many locals fumbling around out there with their boards. So, um you know, it's but it's nice to see them out there with their families and so many kids taking breaks from soccer and football and baseball and finding a passion for the ocean, which is, I mean, we live in Hawaii. You should, um, I think you should have that passion in some degree. Yeah, definitely cool that you brought that up because um, with the pandemic and shutdowns and everything, everybody having to stay home for, you know, lengths of time. Once that lifted, everybody was like, okay, let's go. We got to go hiking. We got to go to yeah. the beach. We got to get outside because we've been cooped up at home. Yeah. It's like, oh, we've never gone to the beach normally but now it's yeah. like all the time going to the beach because i know that's kind of what we've done you know we've tried to get out more and you know every weekend try to at least hit like a hike or a beach or something some yeah. outdoor activity yeah same thing with bikes i mean i've always you know made sure my kids had lots of outdoor toys you know bikes and skateboards and surfboards and and so it's a regular thing for me and i needed to go fix one of our skateboards down where i where i get equipment and i walked in and i was like oh my gosh and and the guy was like this is like crazy how many people are buying bikes and things like that and part of me is like sitting there like really sad that it took a pandemic for people to own a bike um but then also happy like I, well at least you're getting a bike now and hopefully yeah you keep it and you ride it and you don't sell it on Craigslist, you know, in a month when you can go back to, you know, the other things that, that were taking up your time. So, you know, I'm hopeful that some of these things will carry through for people. Cause I mean, I don't think there's any, you know, argument that, you know, riding a bike or going surfing isn't good for you holistically. So, right. Cause you yeah. get, you're also getting that sunlight getting that vitamin D, you yeah, know, and that's, that's like, that, yeah, that's been shown yeah. to be, you know, a positive thing to yeah. fight, you know, viruses and stuff like that. Yeah. So glad uh, people are getting out. I know I've like taken my boogie board out more and more. I say boogie board and like people, are like, oh, it's bodyboarding. Yeah. It's like, dude, same, same. I grew up as a boogie board. Yeah, that's right. The pros are doing bodyboarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're boogieing. <laughs> yeah, we have those wave storm boards, man. They've been, you yeah, you're right. You see them more and more so on many. racks and stuff because they're just they're soft. They're soft. So they're not dangerous yeah. as as dangerous. And they float better. Yeah, well, they're they're just they're cheap too. Yeah, you know, you can get a board for 
150 bucks versus a thousand thousand bucks well, for wow. you know if somebody shapes yeah, yeah. one you know and you know like there's a lot of work put into those but you know you pop them out of a machine you can get the cost down and i mean you get what you pay for but i get it you know people are still not sure if they want to do it so right. it's a good entry entry point for people at the end of the day you're riding a wave you're riding a wave totally yeah and that's that's the beauty of like you just said boogie birding versus bodyboarding who cares you're catching a wave you're in the ocean you're having fun where they're getting barrel they're getting you know just going straight um i think that's that's one of the lost gets lost on people is you don't have to be you know pro surfer to enjoy that i think i never use that term but i hear a lot of people say you feel that stoke and you know it, whatever you call it i you know every time i catch a wave i feel it you know so yeah there's something about i mean this is like a total off topic right when we started but, yeah. um yeah there's something about catching a wave and having that power of the water move you and move you fast yeah. you know it's just there's nothing else in nature that can really duplicate that that's why so many people do it yep but you feel like this sense of calm too when you're out there in the ocean yeah where, where do you surf well I, my favorite place like what i would call my you know sort of my home break now is in waikiki probably probably pops or you know they call it populars is probably where i surf the most and i have my boards down there and it's a little bit further paddle out so it the crowd's a little thinner and you know waves a little bit more um you know a little bit more meaty um i surf there a lot um and then i surf on the east side here um usually out of monolua bay a place called seconds um every once in a while i'll go right across the street from where we're at here at secrets so that's probably like the three spots i go the most you know sort of like go to places i mean i'll surf other places but you know time time you know you gotta be able to get in quick and and get out um and you know you get to know your spot you get to know the people yeah um, but i like to try and go other places just because um you gotta be a creature of habit and sometimes you gotta get out to different spots yeah i was taking my boogie board out to uh sandy's a couple of times I, I was posting it on instagram too um because i had a friend of mine who was actually inside in the water taking pictures of people that he loves doing that yeah. um so that was kind of cool but uh seeing all the young kids out there yeah. and seeing them catch the hard waves right into the <laughs> the short break totally. and he smashed I'm like oh guys i'm too old for that yeah. <laughs> let me go on the side over here and catch like the the tail end of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm about getting smashed when i'm you know 42 years old yeah but yeah, they're definitely fun times and you know, I hope people, you know, find their find their way to get outdoors and do stuff. Yep. Go hike. Yeah. Cuz yeah, like uh taking it back to Duke, like he was a complete outdoorsman, right? Yeah, I mean he was a, I mean he saved people. I mean, he surfed like one of the longest waves in history from you know, basically out past Publix um, in front of the natatorium all the way into about where Dukes is, you know, um, you know, like almost a two minute wave, um, <laughs> you know, and then he was Olympian and, you, you know, he, he broke um, the world record in the natatorium and um, nobody believed that it was true because it was in the ocean. They figured he had to have been, you know, aided by the ocean. Mm -hmm. That's why he did it. And then he went in the pool and then did it again. So, I mean, that's, that's awesome when somebody's like, okay, show me. And you're like, 
all right and you you know you're as good as you know the people said you were and i feel like he was i feel like i never met him and um but just his presence felt like he was a natural at things um and um he was you know not boastful about it and i think those are powerful figures when you know somebody's can walk into a room and you don't know why but that person is important for some reason i think he was that for many reasons um as far as i can tell so that was a good insight on um the background of dukes and duke kahanamoku how does that translate into your life and do you have a specific philosophy on life that you uh, impart with yourself on the day-to-day yeah i mean i do um i can characterize it in a couple ways well one like i've just had great role models in my life that um you know have really given you know made a lot of sacrifice for me and i I, I think it hasn't gotten lost on me that they have. So one of the things that's, you know, sort of a core belief of mine is that it's it's my, you know, responsibility to make them proud so that what they've done isn't wasted. Um, and that doesn't feel like a burden. It feels like, you know, you know what what I'm supposed to do and and that that drives me a lot. You know, once my grandfather, he was a a war hero and he, he told me one time, he just said, you know, don't, don't shame, you know, your family name. And, you know, that's a hard thing to do when you're a kid. And even when you're an adult, there's so many decisions to make and I'm not going to say I'm perfect and that, but that really stuck with me is, you know, make my family proud, um, or the people that I represent. Um, and so I try to, I try to do that the best I can. So I feel like that's sort of, you know, something that drives me, um, you know, the, I try to tell, you know, people that, um, I, I, I come across, especially in work and maybe uh, something that I feel like if somebody asks, like, who are you? Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm a coach. Like that was kind of what I was. Um, I came to an on accident I started coaching football when I got done playing football and um, I really loved it. I almost loved it as much as playing um, because I got to see people succeed and um, and help them get there. And so that's carried on through my career. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say I'm like an expert, you know, coach or anything like that. But the act of sort of, you know, coaching people to their goals is really you know, a core value of mine is, you know, how do I get people to, you know, have that, you know, fulfillment or like I said, reach that goal. So that, and in that, I always, you know, sort of tell people like, it's important to know who you are and what's important to you. And you you can't really like guide. I don't think you can really like guide people if you don't have like a, a center. And what I, what I always what I've come down to, and there's so many ways to break it up, but I've always had this rule of like, if there's more than three things, like it's too many. So if I can boil things down to like three things or two, or even sometimes one of what defines, you know, something, or people can remember that. So I've always, I've always felt like, you know, one thing is to be, you know, like trustworthy, you know? So, you know, what I say, I got to do. And, you know, that becomes easier and easier the more you do it because it's something that becomes a part of you. So I always, 
you know, be trustworthy, um, you know, so be, be somebody that somebody can count on. Um, and then, um, you know, I always, I always felt like I really, I got a lot from working hard because I don't, I don't feel like I was naturally sort of, you know, for school, it didn't come easy. Um, you know, I didn't have necessarily like all this resource around me to be, you know, a good athlete. Like, I, I think I had natural ability, but I really had to kind of grind to, to get some things that maybe some other people had, you know, because of, you know, circumstance. Um, so working hard has always been another value of mine is be trustworthy, work really hard. Um, you know, people always say like work smarter, not harder. And I get that. And I think that's important, but I don't think you can really get there without first working hard and then start figuring out how to kind of lighten the load. But that, that work ethic is really important. So that, and then something that, you know, I get, I think is from my mom, but it's something that I really enjoy is like, you have to have fun. And so I always say like, if you're not having fun, like, why am I doing it? And so those three things sort of are me when somebody asks me, like, who are you? I like, that's kind of like who I am. You know, I really feel like I'm a coach. Those are some of my values. I really want to make sure that my family um, is proud of me and I've done right by the sacrifices they've made. And then, you know, sort of just like, you know, it sounds kind of selfish, but it's not really the intent is to leave a legacy of those things so that people do, whether it's my kids or people I worked with, you know, that, that they remember me for those things, not, you know, sort of mistakes I've made or, you know, bad calls. Cause they, everybody does that. I'm not sitting here saying that I don't miss those things every once in a while, but, um, you know, having that legacy live more on the things that, you know, are, are really important to me. So it's kind of, kind of it. Yeah. I wanted to, touch back on what you were talking about, um, having fun. Yeah. Um, not too long ago, I had a person tell me that one of my, and this is probably the biggest piece of advice I had as an, I had received as an adult, stop taking yourself so seriously and have fun. Remember who you were as a kid and what made you happy as a kid and reflect back on that and bring that back into your adult life and, you know, boogie boarding and, you know, other, other kinds of fun things and just, joking around and not taking myself so seriously. And I think a, a lot of adults these days need to get back in touch, in touch with their inner childhood. You know, yep. it's like, I saw your mask. You have a star Wars mask. I do. It's like, yeah. I love star Wars. Yeah. And I don't care if people like say it's, Oh, it's stupid. It's uh, for kids. It's like, yeah, I'm a kid. Yeah. I'm just, exactly. I just got bigger. <laughs> totally. I, I, yeah. I mean, that's, I, and I feel like, the people that I'm responsible for, you know, that work that I work with and my kids and, you know, my friends, I feel like if I can, you know, why are they, you know, I, I want them to be like, wow, you're having fun. Like, awesome. Like, I like doing that. I want to work with you or my kids, you're having fun. I, I'm having fun. Kids just like to play, you know, like, and so do I. So, you know, not, you said it like, perfectly like don't take it too serious don't it's 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 a value i learned too with you know through through some coaches was you know it's never as good or as bad as you think like mm -hmm. you always think it's the worst thing ever it's not and then you got to kind of check yourself sometimes when you think everything's great um so kind of kind of keeping a little bit more even keel um but a lot of times it's like 
is it that important or is it that serious? Like, why are we getting upset about it? Or, you know, and you realize that, you know, that this time, you know, time goes by and you miss things or, you know, you know, relationships and, you know, seeing my daughter cry for something that really wasn't that important because I made it feel important. Then I look back and go like, was that, was that worthwhile to make her feel upset? Cause it wasn't that big of a deal that, you know, she didn't clean her room. You know, it is because I want her to be responsible in her life and carry things through. But to this upset, you know, like I, I need to take a step back. So I, I, I tend to somewhat self-correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good yeah. for everybody to yeah. do. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're not self-correcting, then, yeah. you know, you, something's wrong because nobody's perfect. Totally. Right? You always yeah. have to have that open. So good, good, good. Is there any uh, historical figure that you, um, um, are motivated by or that you would like to meet if you had time travel? Oh, historical figure. You know, this is going to sound really weird. Um, well, the question's weird, weird anyways. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's, no, I mean, it, I, I think it's going to sound self-centered, but um, I, I've really like not, I would say maybe purposely, like I don't really envy anybody. Um, I don't wish I could be somebody else. I don't, I mean, I've learned a lot from people and like, I like listening to people's lives, you know, through especially a lot of sports figures and coaches and, you know, seeing their struggle, you know, their struggles um, or their triumphs and, you know, what they've learned and how they've put it towards their life. Um, but I can't say outside of the people in my inner circle of my family who really have been, you know, you know, my, like my grandfather's one of them where he just, he had to persevere through so much. I mean, he was in World War II and he was captured and only a few people from his, you know, ship survived and he swam in the ocean for a day until he was rescued. And I look at that and I see where he ended up. And I, and, and so somebody like him who I got to spend time with and then, um, see as like a real life hero and kind of get to know him really well. Um, that, that's somebody that, you know, historically for me mm. was like a, a center of, you know, this is, this is kind of like a standard of, you know, what you need, what I need to be as far as, you know, it's not so bad. You've got it pretty good or how to make something out of you know nothing or, you know, how to use, utilize the things that you're good at to, you know, move your way through or up in life. So that, but, but in general, like, you know, as it comes, you know, especially as an athlete, you know, I, I struggle to wear somebody else's Jersey, you know, I, I like wearing my Jersey. Like, you know, I wasn't an NFL player and, you know, probably not too many people remember me at some point, but like, uh, yeah, like I, I kind of want to wear my Jersey or not or not, you know, I appreciate what everybody's done, but I don't really wish that I, you know, could have been, you know, Jerry Rice, like. I had a good run and like, like I, I got to experience things that others didn't and I don't have any regret. Yeah. It's cool. that. Uh, yeah. So like the historical figure question, you kind of answered that by saying that you already know your historical figure. Yeah. That was your grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. So that great man right there. Definitely. Would yeah. you have liked to have known him as a younger man? Um, yes. In the fact where it would be kind of cool if we were like the same age, cause yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. the things that he saw and did and, um, you know, there's part of me that really looks back to some of the different decades and, you know, 
now there's so much, you know, on what you said and what you wrote and being politically correct. And there's a lot of advances we've made, especially when it comes to, you know, respecting and, you know, motivating and pushing up women and, you know, racial, you know, um, inequality and things like that. So I don't want to go back to that kind of stuff. But as far as, you know, you could kind of like go out with your friends and do yeah. some crazy things and it wasn't going to be documented. And, you know, you, you know, those types of things, I'm sure that my grandfather has some great stories. I mean, he was a professional wrestler and traveled all around the world to do that. So he um, probably had some good nights and <laughs> long mornings that isn't really like my speed, but I would like, you know, I would like a couple of road trips with him, maybe. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so um, with the legacy of Duke and the legacy of your grandfather, what is the legacy and the mark on the world that you want to leave for the future generations? Um, well, I think my, my biggest goal is going to be, you know, I was lucky enough that my wife and I were, you have two kids and, um, my, my, my whole goal and legacy and mark is that, you know, what we can do as just two people is we can try our best to produce two really good humans. And I hope that they are good for, you know, good in society and do, you know, don't put strain on society, make it better in some way, even if that's just living, you know, a, a, a solid life that, is is built with more happiness and more you know good for others and um you know maybe hopefully they produce some other good good humans somebody once told me they're like when, when i said you know my wife didn't want to have kids and they said you know what you and your wife are good people it's your responsibility to make more good people and and i was like yeah and i want to make good people you tell my wife um but um you know that i i really believe in that like i feel like a there's a duty upon myself to make sure that my kids, you know, you know, be good people. They don't have to be NFL stars or president or anything like that. So be good people, you know, and take care of, take care of our place and take care of, um, you know, people around them in our community. Like that would be like a really good and story sort of for me that, and hopefully they can keep that legacy going. I, I, I think. Yeah. No, that's super yeah. important. That's yeah. like what everybody should not everybody, but most people should strive for. It's like, if you're going to have children, like create good human beings. Yeah. There's too many parents that have had children, just kind of let their children do whatever. And they're not, you know, that good of parents and their parents, their kids end up getting in trouble and, you know, degrading society. You know, it's the opposite of what we need. We need more parents like yourself. Make good human beings. Yeah. <laughs> That's the goal. That is yeah. a good goal. Yeah. And it's not an easy goal. No, it's not. It's work. Hard, hard yeah. work. It was yeah. easy. Everybody be doing it. That's right. All right. Um, any last words uh, before we get out of here? No. Um, just basically thank you for having me on and asking me good questions that, you know, make me think and, you know, put them to words. Um, it's good. It's like, it's like good therapy to kind of talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like, to, I like to say that, you know, I'm producing these things for the guests so that they can show it to their kids like years from now. And, you know, the kids can get a different insight or show it to them now, sure. different insight to their parents and stuff. And, you know, other family members. So yeah. thank you so much for coming on Dylan. No it's problem. been great. And, um, everybody Dylan Ching, uh, from Dukes and, uh, yeah, as always, are you guys open right now? We're open. Yeah. Okay. We're open. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Might have to take a trip down you gotta there. You got to come down. 
Yeah. All right, everybody. Okay. As always, stay happy, Hawaii.